Good morning. It's good to be with you today. It's good to be back. I was in Alabama last week, about an hour below Birmingham, and preached a place called Wilsonville, Alabama. It's a little place, about 90 people, but they packed them in, and it's a wonderful, wonderful time. But I miss you. This is my favorite place in the world to preach. It's right here, and I'm glad to be with you today. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Psalms 23. We know that so well. The Lord is my shepherd. And in the month of August, we've been talking about shepherding. Not physical shepherding, but spiritual shepherding as God leads his people. And we have one more part in that that we want to talk about today. And then again this evening, Jason and I combined will do a chair series as we continue some questions and answers that we go through each other about this concept of shepherding. So good to have you. So good to have our visitors with us today. When I pulled in the parking lot today, early this morning, there was a hot air balloon going over. And I thought, you know, I'm looking up at him, and he's kind of looking down at me, and that's kind of what worship is, isn't it? I'm looking up at God, and God's looking down at me. And that's what worship is. And we're so delighted we could be there. Glad you could be with us as we think about the things that God wants us to understand. The comedian Tim Hawkins has made a career out of making parody songs. He took the classic Beatles song yesterday and turned it to Chick-fil-A. He took a song by Billy Joe, Piano Man, and called it Buffet Man. And he wrote a song that's entitled, These Are Things You Don't Say to Your Wife. The chorus is, if you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are things you don't say to your wife. It begins, hey honey, have you gained some weight in your rear end? That dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend. And where did you get those shoes? I think they're pretty lame. Would you stop talking because I'm trying to watch the game? I planned a honey trip next week on your birthday. I didn't ask you because I know it'd be okay. Go make some dinner while I watch this feasting show. I taped it over our old wedding video. Your cooking is okay, but not like mother makes. The diamond in the ring I bought you is really a fake. Your eyes are puffy, dear. Are you feeling ill? Happy anniversary. I bought you a treadmill. If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are things you don't say to your wife. If you're a man who doesn't want to get killed with a knife, these are things you don't say to your wife. Now, you don't have to explain why. If you're married, you understand that. There's just certain things you don't say. We can make our own song and talk about things you don't say in church. Not that we're trying to keep them secret, but the idea that we got to get along with each other. And how important that is. Have you noticed as you look at the New Testament, the first four books focus on who Jesus is. Convincing us that he is the God on earth. He is your Savior. The book of Acts tells us how the church grew and how it expanded everywhere. But then after that, from the book of Romans to all the way through the book of Jude and a little bit into the book of Revelation, we read about life in the church. And what we find is sometimes it's just a difficult situation. Paul would say in the book of Philippians, as he talked about Yoda and Synthes, how they need to get along in harmony. He would say in the book of Galatians, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed with one another. He told the Corinthians that they are to all agree, no divisions exist among you. He told the Romans, he says, now accept the one who is weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. The one has faith that he may eat all things, but one who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. What he's saying is you got to get along. You gotta get along. 
And so as we wrap up this series about shepherding, I think it's fitting for us to talk about what is life like in the flock. For some people, what an amazing, wonderful, rich experience it is being part of God's fellowship. Others have horror stories. And others have had extreme trouble. And so what we want to look at today is just what does this picture really look like? Let me share with you an email I received this, just this past week. It's from one of our Jumpstart readers. He was writing to me about something I had written. He says, when people do not feel safe, they will not reveal themselves. Most church and family cultures I've been a part of destroy that safety. A current and appropriate term is toxic. They consist of hypercritical, judgmental, condescending spirit. In my opinion, it is not necessarily the person who does, who, who does not feel safe as a horrible sinner. They just are not comfortable sharing their own personal struggles because of a toxic culture. There are those who are living a different life. They know they're off track, a fish out of water, but still, for some reason, they associate with the church and even call themselves Christians. When Christians feel safe in the church and when the leadership is the way it should be, I believe they can thrive. He ended his email with this statement. I cannot say I know how to resolve the current culture that exists in churches today. And that's why we need to talk about this. We need to talk about not just our relationship with Jesus, but our relationship with one another as we think about life in the flock. Got your Bible now. Open to Psalms 23. The most famous of all the Psalms. We know it so well, but it, it identifies again so much this concept of the shepherd and the sheep. There it begins by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of the first things you notice is how active the shepherd was. The shepherd's everywhere. He's guiding. He's leading. And that just tells us some things about shepherd and sheep, that sheep need guidance. He leads, verse 2. He guides, verse 3. The Bible tells us that they need nourishment. And there's the idea of the green pastures and the quiet waters. And they need protection. And there's a staff and the rod to comfort him. And then what they need is assurance. And here in the presence of evil or a table before my enemies, there we find what the shepherd was receiving and how powerful that was. Now, as we look at this lesson, life in the flock, we need to appreciate that there's a lot of folks today, even in our fellowship, who are not in our fellowship. They don't think they need church. All I need is Jesus. I don't know why I need you, and I definitely think that you don't need me. And as a result, they try to fly solo. No connections, no accountability, no fellowship, no responsibility, and no blessings. Just me and God and no one else. Now, I want us to understand as we begin this lesson, that's not God's design. God's design is for the sheep to be in the flock. God's design are for sheep to be led by shepherds. And so once again, back to the book of Ephesians, and we've looked at that a few times in this series. But in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul again lays out this connection that he expects of us. In Ephesians chapter 4, and beginning at verse 11, 
He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by the ways, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth... In love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is ahead, even Christ, from whom the whole body, you get this? I'm not flying solo here. I'm not in my little hot air balloon just flying over my spiritual journey here. But it says the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We see connections, we see unity, we see growth, we see adding or doing our part. That's what God wants from all of us. Now there's a man by the name of Philip Keller, and years ago he wrote a classic book about shepherding. Philip Keller was a shepherd, and he wrote a book about what a shepherd sees in Psalms 23. And what he says is there's three causes for sheep not to rest. There's a lot of things that keep us up at night. Worry does that. Fear does that. Uh, every once in a while, Debbie and I will have one of our grandchildren spend the night, and they're small enough that they sleep between us. Miss Brinley, a few years ago, she had five things before I go to sleep. And then you have to do them in order, or you got to start all over. you got to tell a story. you got to say a prayer. I can handle those two. Number three, you got to look on your phone, see if there's any storms. I don't know why, but you do. you got to check on Big Mike. Now, I had to confirm this with my daughter. What is a Big Mike? Big Mike is an alligator somewhere. And all you have to do is bring up a picture of your alligator, and your phone says, See here, Brinley, Big Mike's doing okay. And then you rub your feet, her bottom of her feet. And then about that time, because you're about to pass out, she sits up and says, I'm not tired at all. I'm going to stay awake all night. And you think, I'm not. But now, Philip Keller in his book says this. Sheep will not rest, first of all, if there's tension in the flock. They will not rest if there's bugs in their ears, because they're not like a dog. They can't scratch that part of the body. And number three, they will not rest if they are afraid. Now, Keller says this in his book. In every animal society, there's an established order of dominance or status within a group. Among chickens, it's referred to as the pecking order. With cattle, it's called the horning order. Among sheep, we call it the budding order. Generally, he says, an arrogant, cunning, domineering old ewe, old ewe will be a boss of any bunch of sheep. She will maintain her position of prestige by budding and driving other ewes or lambs away from the best grazing fields. Hundreds and hundreds of times I've watched an old ewe walk up to a younger lamb, one which may be feeding contently or resting quietly. She will arch her neck, tilt her head, and approach the other with a stiff-legged gait. All this is saying unmistakable turns, move over, get out of my way, or else. And if the other sheep does not immediately leap to her feet and run, then she begins to butt that one unmercifully. And then Keller says, in any business firm, any office, any school, any family, any community, any church, 
be it large or small, the struggle for self-assertion and self-recognition goes on. Most of us fight to be the top sheep. We butt, we quarrel, we compete to get ahead, and in the process, we hurt others. Life in the flock sometimes can be not pleasant. So now let's turn our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, or chapter 12, rather. I'm not sure why the rest of those verses aren't listed there, but let's begin in verse 12, read down to verse 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In this setting, the Apostle Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, a problem in that city, a problem in that church. But in the process of describing this, he tells us some lessons that we need to know. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, begin in verse 12, he says, For even as the body is one, yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. And what we learn from this is two things. Number one, we're not the same, but we're all necessary. And when you look at Paul's list there in 1 Corinthians 12 of the body parts... He doesn't say some of us are these little danglies on our ears. You know, some, some of y'all got them right next to your head. Some are danglies like I am. I'm not sure why God does that, but there it is. He doesn't say some of us are hair. Because some of us have a whole bunch of hair. Some of us have no hair. He doesn't say some of us are little toenails. Now, I'm sure a doctor can tell us the value of a little toenail. I'm not sure what value is. But he doesn't call us that. He calls us your eyes, your feelings, your hands, your smell, your taste. If we were to lose any of those in our times today, we're considered handicapped. What Paul's saying here is we are different, but we're all essential. That's how God made the body. Second thing we learn is we learn how Jesus shepherded the apostles. What an amazing lesson that is. He took 12 men. Now, they didn't come to him. He chose them. And some of them were related, some of them were brothers, some of them were not related. Some of them had a common bond in being the same occupation as fishermen. One had a desk job. One was a political radical. One was a tax collector. What a, what a just hodgepodge of people. And what we noticed is as we begin, their attitudes weren't right. They had a lot of attitudes that just were not correct. Luke 22, verse 24, there arose a dispute among them, which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. There's that big old sheep, butting her head in there. I'm number one of all the apostles. In Matthew chapter 22, or 20, verse 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons. Now stop here a minute. Her boys aren't 12 years old. Her boys are likely close to the age of Jesus, which is 30 years old. Imagine your mama showing up tomorrow at work and going up to your boss. Right there is enough to say, please, never do that. 
The mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making request of him. And, and he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine might sit one on the right and one on your left. What's he saying there? She's starting to kick the grass a little bit. She's starting to lower her head. We are going to be number one in this kingdom. Again, in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 46, an argument started among them as to which one might be the greatest. So when we start with Jesus and the apostles, we notice that there was a lot of work to be done. We notice in that little flock, things were difficult. And there were other attitudes that were not right. Matthew chapter 14, verse 15. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is already late. Send the crowds away. This is right before Jesus feeds the 5,000. What did the disciples say? Tell them, go home. It's not my problem, it's your problem. You should have brought food. You didn't bring food. It's not my concern. Go home. And Matthew 15, verse 23 with a Syrophoenician woman. He did not answer her a word, and disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away. Luke chapter 9, verse 54, When his disciples James and John saw, that they, uh, saw what they said, Lord, you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them. Let's kill them, Jesus. And I want you to understand, when Jesus started with these 12, there was a lot of attitudes that just weren't right. And then we see that their faith was weak. Time and time again, Jesus would rebuke them for having little faith. Now, what's interesting through all this is that Jesus never fires these 12. Jesus never says, I'm getting another group of 12 because you guys cannot get it together. Jesus shepherded and molded these disciples to being the people of God. And he did this, first of all, by being an example himself. He was what they were not. He was with the lepers. He was with the Samaritans. He would eat with the sinners. Constant, visible example. Leaders must walk where they want other people to walk. That's what Jesus did. And through his example, he was changing them to be the people that they should be. He did this by being patient. And man, that's a difficult lesson. The idea of being patient and the idea that I'm not going to send you home, I'm not going to replace you, you're going to get this. And he was patient with them. And then the idea that he taught them. He taught them, and he taught them, and he taught them, and he was consistent. What he said is what he did. He modeled the very things that he said. Now, having said that, we need to be honest and realize when we think about life in the flock, There'll be things that bug me, and there'll be things that bug you, and there'll be some of us who irritate each other. There'll be days I bug you. What's wrong with Roger today? He's bugging me. There's days I'm going to irritate you, just as there's days you're going to irritate me. Now, what do we do? For some people, I'm off to another church. I'm off to another flock. And what you're going to find is you're going to find the same thing in every flock. And so this can distort and distract our worship, and it can strain our fellowship. Or we can have the mindset that the apostle tells us to have in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. Let's turn over there now, Ephesians chapter 4, and I want you to read this section here as Paul is describing life in the flock. 
Ephesians chapter 4, at 3, the first seven verses, I want you to notice three things he points out here. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That's number one. God has an expectation for you. You need to walk a certain way. Why? Because God says so. Because God made you. Because God died for you. Because God wants to save you in heaven. And so it's not up to what I want or what you want, or what's comfortable, or what's not comfortable. Is we need to see God has an expectation that we are to walk in a manner worthy in which you are called. Some of you who have grown up in our fellowship remember those horror stories about somebody who was a preacher's kid. The PK they sought him. And how the preacher's kid, oh my, look what he did. But everyone else, it doesn't matter. God is saying in this passage, there are no double standards. Son or daughter of an elder, son or daughter of a preacher, son or daughter of a member, you're a son or daughter of God. And God expects you to walk a certain way. Secondly, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. You ever go to those little, little places where they sometimes have kids' games and carnival and, and pizza in those places, like Chuck E. Cheese in those places, and they have this little game called whack-a-mole. You know, this little thing pops up, and you bang it in the head, and you bang it in the head, and you bang it in the head. That's how a lot of folks act in life. They're just banging each other in the head. Here he tells us of an attitude, the attitude of humility, the attitude of gentleness, the attitude of patience, because we're not at the same place. Not everybody's where you're at. It's like driving down the highway. Someone's always ahead of you. Someone's always behind you. And oftentimes there's someone right beside you. So why is this guy behind me not getting it? Because he's behind you. You be patient. You be an example. Look at that guy up there ahead of you. You're not where he's at. You need to get up there. And he needs to be patient with you. And then he tells us in verse 3 that there's a certain drive. Be diligent. To preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you're called, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's the concept he has here. And so, yes, there'll be days we bug each other. Yes, there'll be days we irritate each other. Yes, there'll be things... There'll be days that the house is never big enough for all the kids. What do we do? We have an attitude. We have a walk. We have a drive that God wants us to remember. And so what is it like in this flock? What's life like in this flock? Well, number one, it's to be surrounded by incredible disciples who love the Lord and have hearts of a servant. That's what it's like in this congregation. It's, it's the idea that people really love Jesus. And they really want to do what's right. What's it like? It's knowing that we are well fed. Few congregations provide the material that we provide here. Every single day. It's like Thanksgiving. There are so many wonderful opportunities. Multiple classes. Even classes during the week. There are blogs and podcasts and sermons and quick quotes and reminders and warnings and encouragement. Every single day. Day. 
Get that on your phone. Get that on your tablet. Get that on your computer. And we are feeding and feeding the word of God. It's like that hymn we sing. All things are ready. Come to the feast. What a feast we have. Next. What's it like in this congregation? It's feeling secure because we're protected by wonderful, careful shepherds. I wish somehow y'all can understand what goes on behind the scene with the shepherds. How many times they're praying about you. How many times they're concerned about you. What can we do to help this member? What can we do to help this family? This is a constant, constant concern of the shepherds here. Now, are they perfect? Well, what if we turn that to you? Are you perfect? No, neither are they. Can they improve? How about you? Can you improve? Yeah, I need to, don't I? And so do they. And so finally, as we wrap this up, what's like in this flock, it's realizing that we are a work in progress. And God is patient, and God is trying to help us. And so, if you will, take in your Bibles the book of Hebrews chapter 12, and... As I read that email this week, man talking about toxic churches, toxic families, and how you can't be transparent because it's going to be used against you and how terrible it is. And he says he has no idea how to change that culture. I do. It's found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's how we change that culture. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, you're going, to be quit. you're going to stop being so judgmental. You're going to put that radar gun down. If anything, you're going to put that radar gun on yourself. Why am I so critical of that guy and I cut myself some slack when maybe I shouldn't? Fix your eyes on Jesus. And when someone says something crooked, you're not going to throw them out the window. Why? How many times have I said something crooked? How many times have you said something crooked? We're going to help each other. And what I want you to see as we've done this series all through August, and if you missed any of them, they're all on our website. You can go back and grab them. As we talk about shepherding, one of the most essential things is how we keep all of us, number one, together and marching toward heaven. And that's the key. And that key comes about when we have that spirit of Jesus. Yes, some places are very toxic. Yes, some homes are very toxic. Yes, a lot of people are toxic. Yes, workplaces are toxic. And what's missing in all that is an attention focused upon Jesus. Jesus who gives grace. Jesus who forgives. Jesus who is patient with us. And when we get that, what a great thing it is. We're going to have some announcements here at the end of our worship today about our church family. Lots of things going on in this church family, as always. But can you imagine what life would be like without a fellowship? I have visited funeral homes where there's two visitations going on at the same time. I look in the, win I look in the doorway of this one. I'm going to this one. I look in the doorway here. There's one person standing from that casket. I go over here. I may stay an hour in there talking to all the people. So much from the church is there. I leave, and I look in that room again. There's still that same one person by himself. Life is hard when you journey by yourself. No one there to remind you. No one to 
tell you things. No one to kind of pull you up when you get down. No one to offer you comfort and encouragement. No one to give you a boy when you do a great job. No one to remind you, hey, stay on course because you're getting a little wiggly here. That's what life in the flock is all about. And that's a wonderful thing I believe we have here. It's a work in progress, as all of us are. There's days we have attitudes. I used to have this little saying I said to my kids. It seems like whenever there was a birthday, and you get all the kids together, it's this guy's fifth birthday, this guy's tenth birthday, whatever. You get all the kids together for a birthday picture, you always got one who's pouting. Every time. The pictures come out, everybody's smiling but that one. You know, it wasn't his birthday and he's in a sour mood. And so I came up with a little phrase to help me through that. And that is, every party has a pooper and every church has a jerk. And who is it this week? And sometimes it's me. Sometimes I'm the party pooper. Sometimes I'm the one who's got the attitude. And what you got to do is you got to work on that. You go back to Hebrews 12 and say, is that the way Jesus is? No. Then get over it. The guy parked where I always park. How can he do that? Doesn't he know that's where I park? He's sitting where I always sit. Doesn't he know? Number one, he doesn't. And number two, there's no parking places and there's no sign seating. So get over it. You see? And we can get upset. And like Philip Keller says in that book, that shepherd takes us to the green pastures and the quiet waters and we should lay down and rest and enjoy our fellowship, fellowship but we're irritated. Irritated. Got a bug in my ear. Something I'm afraid of. Or there's tension in the flock. And how... God has assigned shepherds to do that. Now, you know what a real shepherd would do in ancient Israel? That sheep get a bug in his ear? Yeah, you got to figure it out. The shepherd had put his finger in that little sheep ear and get that bug out. You want to talk about gross. That's gross in my book. But he'd have to do that because the sheep couldn't do that. And so as we think about our lesson, we think about the series why are there elders? Why are there shepherds in the church? We hope to see that. And I hope you can see the value that you have and the value the flock has to you. You need the flock, and the flock needs you. I wish there's some way, there's no way to knowing this, but I wish there'd be some way we could put up on the screen how many prayers go in a week in which we're praying for each other. We don't know about that, do we? Brother Brad's been kind of sick, praying for him. How many people prayed for him? Who knows? Who knows? Another family's going through some hard times. How many prayers are going up to heaven all the time for that family? Praying for this shepherd, praying for this person, praying for that person, praying for our Bible class. It's over to all these prayers going heavenward. You see, we're not in this alone. And what a wonderful, wonderful thing we have. And so reminding ourselves that as a sheep in the flock, I need to be a team player. I need to cooperate. I need to understand. And when my shepherd says it's time to get up and walk over here to another field, I mean, I feel like I'm tired. The shepherd, I must trust him and have confidence in him. When a shepherd says, don't eat that, that's poison, I may not realize that. The shepherd knows I've got to trust him. And when we get kind of Acting like we're a party pooper sometimes, and we're starting to raise our neck up 
and we're starting to be like that old sheep, we're going to start having our dominance. Calm down and remember Jesus. Life in the flock, I believe, is a wonderful thing. I don't know where a lot of us would be today if we did not have a congregation like this. Sometimes we thump because we need to be thumped. Sometimes we encourage because we need to be encouraged. Sometimes we instruct because we need to be instructed. Sometimes we warn because we need to be warned. But through all of this, what a powerful, powerful thing it is. What a blessing to be a sheep in a family of God. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one. Because without that, you're flying solo. You need Christ more than anything else in your life. You need a fellowship that's going to be there for you. And then you need a hope of heaven as God promises that to us. Never been baptized at the New Testament way. Jesus did. He taught that. His disciples went everywhere preaching that. And maybe, maybe you're one of the sheep here and you're just kind of wanting to climb over the fence and go another direction. There's always some cows between my house and this church building. And there's always one old cow that's got his head stuck through the net, through the fence, trying to reach some piece of grass way over there. And that's some of us sometimes. The fence is to keep us safe. God says stay on this side of the field. But sometimes we're just reaching as far as we can in there. Be careful. Be careful. Follow God. We're here to help you. All of us. All of us want all of us to go to heaven. And that's the thought. If you're a subject, why don't you come as we stand, as we sing.